Let us pray together. O God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we pray for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our congregation so that we might not only glimpse but also experience very intimately the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of your love for us in Jesus Christ. And it's through him that we pray, the one who is our entree into you. Amen. So this morning in our Gospel reading, we find ourselves standing with the crowds on the banks of the Jordan River. And sunlight is bouncing and glimmering off of the surface of the water, dancing all around us. If you look carefully, you can see that light glimmering in the faces of our children this morning. And after Jesus comes up from His baptism, He sees the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descending like a a dove upon Him. And He hears a voice from heaven saying, You are My Son, the Beloved, and in You I am so well pleased. What we are witnessing in these three very short verses this morning, dear friends, is a scene of exquisite communion unfolding within the life of God as the Father, the Abba, blesses, the Spirit descends, the Son receives the Abba blessing, the Spirit descending, the Son receiving. And the good news is that we're not just meant to stand here today on the banks of the Jordan as mere observers, dry observers of this circle of divine communion. No, we are being invited to jump in and to become participants in this divine communion ourselves. You see, Jesus comes to fully share our human lives so that we might fully share the life of God. As Jesus says later so beautifully, as you, Abba, are in me and as I am in you, so may my followers also be in us. And so do you see what this means? We too, we too are invited to hear God's voice assuring us that we are God's beloved children. And that we, we too, really belong in God's family. During my recent sabbatical, I came to treasure this quote from Thomas Merton. 
He says, he puts it this way, love spills out of God and gathers us back into God in order to pour itself back into God through all of us and to return to God on the great tide of God's mercy. And friends, our communicating this bedrock, rock-bottom assurance of our belovedness to God may be the most precious thing that we can share with any other human being. To let someone know that they are the beloved child of God is to share with them what their core identity really is. In fact, it's to tell them who they really are. And I have to wonder, isn't it only this bedrock assurance of our belovedness to God that makes possible all of our turning away from our sins and our addictions? That gives us the courage to dare to let go of all the things that separate us from God. So I just invite us to stand right now and let us turn to our neighbors and say to one another, look them in the eye and say to them, you are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. You are Amen. You are God's beloved child. You are beloved child. You are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. Doesn't that feel wonderful? You are my beloved child, God says. And you know, since Barry's death on Wednesday night and me writing this sermon, how wonderful it's been to contemplate that these might have been God's own very first words in receiving Barry. Barry, you are my beloved child. Welcome home. You are God's beloved child. Parents and grandparents, what if you were to whisper these words into the ears of your children? Especially your teenagers. Every night when you tuck them into bed. Well, maybe you don't tuck in your teenagers. You can uh, stand at the doorway. (laughs) Sorry, Jasmine. (laughs) 
friends, mentors. We have a new mentor today, Laura. And spouses. What if this was the message that you were to communicate with your loved ones every day? All of us, what if we were to remember this whenever we are relating with some difficult person in our lives? To quietly pray, you are God's beloved child. And why on earth would we do this? Because that's who they really are. You know, if we flip over from our baptism story in Mark to the very same one in Luke, we find that our dear Luke includes one extra fascinating detail. Jesus' experience of the heavens opening, the Spirit descending, God's voice affirming His belovedness, all of this happens while He is praying. Chapter 3, verse 21. In fact, Luke seems to want us to know. He wants us to know that Jesus' whole ministry happens from a posture of of receptive listening prayer. And so Luke mentions Jesus praying seven different times. Jesus praying and communing with God. And the baptism story is one of these. This past Advent, we saw, didn't we, the same receptivity in Mary's yes to God? Let it be with me according to your word. Our Anabaptist forebears called this Glossenheit, a radical surrendering, an active consenting to the beautiful life of God in our own lives. This endless encircling giving and receiving of love and forgiveness and grace. I want to share a story with you that I've shared before. Because it so beautifully illustrates this kind of prayerful consent and receptivity to God. It comes from Deb Smooker, Dottie's daughter. Deb and her wife Liz, by the way, are leading a tour right now down in Costa Rica for Dottie and several other members of our congregation. Now, when Deb's mother, or excuse me, when Deb's father, Marcus, was still living, he'd often call Deb all the way out in Seattle about his computer problems. Remember this story? And one day, Marcus called to her in a panic and said, My Google has disappeared. Where's my Google? You know that Google box? Don't you hate when it disappears from your screen and you don't know where it is? At first, first Deb would carefully, carefully walk Marcus step by step through everything that he needed to do by phone. 
But after a while, because he trusted her so completely, he simply gave her his password to make all the necessary changes. And you know, later when I asked Deb for permission to use this story, she was thrilled to say yes. She said, when do I get to be God in a story? (laughs) How can I say no to that? But friends, isn't prayer... What happens when we give God our password and we fully welcome God's loving transformation of our hearts? When we completely open ourselves up to God and say, your will be done, not mine. When we fully welcome the life of God, of mutuality and forgiveness and compassion and loving kindness to become our way of life as well. But the thing is, God is so loving, so respectful, so tender with us that this transformation is never forced on us. As I read this past week, God never commits spiritual harassment. Instead, God invites us, tenderly woos us, and patiently waits for our yes. Because a love that is forced is no longer love. Ten years ago this coming summer, I experienced a before and after turning point in my prayer life with God. I had grown sick and weary and tired of my jabbering prayers with God. You know, telling God what to do and where to do it. And even worse, I sensed that God was really tired of my prayers as well. (laughs) And then one day... In verse 5 of our Psalm 62 today, I heard God's invitation into something brand new. For you alone, O God, my soul waits in silence. And also, I ran into that summer Psalm 46 in a new way. Be still, be still, be still, and know that I am God. And I was so moved recently when Harold and Nora May told me that those beautiful eight words are going to be carved on their tombstone. Be still. And know that I am God. 
Friends, if you are at a place, a dry place of frustration in your prayer life with God right now, might God just be inviting you to begin including times of receptive listening silence? Still praying for others and the needs of the world and your own needs, but also including a few minutes or even just few moments at the start of listening receptive prayer. Because as many Christian contemplatives and mystics have said over the centuries, silence is God's first language. Silence is God's mother tongue. And I love to think of this divine silence as the holy hush that we hear outside after a great snowfall. You know that feeling? Maybe you heard it this week, midweek, just a bit. When all of creation is quiet. Did you know that there's a similar moment in Scripture in Revelation 8.1? When the Lamb opens the seventh seal, it says, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. You can check it out later on. Revelation 8.1. In my office... I keep this jar of, it contains water and sand as a kind of object reminder of my deep need for this centering silence in God. And when this kind of centering silence is a daily part of my life, every once in a while my inner being resembles just a little bit the clarity of this water. In other words, I'm more receptive, more open to God. But when I don't have these times of silence, (laughs) my inner being (laughs) looks like this churning bottle of sand. Maybe you've felt that way sometimes about yourself. Maybe you've sometimes felt that way about me when you meet me, that this is what I seem like. But anyway, this is a reminder of this process of settling and resting in God. Let me close by joining together two insights uh, from folks in our congregation this past week. The first came from Pastor Samantha when she helped us to see that that opening phrase in our verse for 2018, you can find it on the back side of the insert in our bulletin, when she helped us to see that that call to keep Alert is a call to prayerful awakeness and attentiveness, to prayerful paying attention. 
And then another insight that I got this week came from Chuck Waterfield. As he shared on Facebook that he has decided to turn off all the news alert functions on his phone. In normal times, he said, he would get one or two of these urgent alerts a week. And lately, sometimes he's getting seven a day. He said something interesting. He said, I think it's okay for me to be three or four hours late on breaking news. Lately, who of us doesn't feel completely overwhelmed by all of this talking and shouting and twittering? And I wonder, I just wonder, might people of faith, listening in silence to God, be exactly what our world needs most right now? Because you see, true prayer is not a retreat from the world, but actually leads us to engage our world with a quiet and courageous love. True prayer also gives us the mind of Christ. Oh, give us the mind of Christ for the difficult situations we all face in our lives. It helps us to look at even that most difficult student, classmate, colleague, or neighbor. It even helps us to look at our own reflection in the mirror and to see a beloved child of God. Amen.